for the people that are just tuning in, our guest is an actor, a painter, and an author. He made his name playing rough-edged, working-class Italian-American characters. His signature role as Sylvester Stallone's brother-in-law, Paulie and Rocky, in the original 1976, earned him an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. He is one of three actors, Sylvester Stallone and Tony Burton being the other, who have appeared in every Rocky film. He has played similar roles in Chinatown, Convoy, Back to School, The Pope of Greenwich Village, Once Upon a Time in America, Last Exit to Brooklyn, and even a brutal and darker role in Amityville 2, The Possession. He has also appeared in many television programs, including The Rockford Files, Beretta, Lauren Order, MASH, guest starred in Miami Vice, and made an unforgettable appearance on The Sopranos as Bobby Bacalar's father, who is dying of cancer, comes out of retirement to execute a hit on his godson. If all that wasn't enough, he is also a painter whose art has been displayed in galleries throughout the world. He is also a published author whose works include two film screenplays and a 400-page historical-based novel called Endings. He has also written two stage plays, S.O.S. and A Letter to Alicia, and the New York City government from a man with a bullet in his head. It's a thrill for me to welcome Burt Young to Sports Talk New York. So, yo, Paulie, what's up? Hey, hello. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> well, <laughs> with your career, you should be. That, is, it, that's, that just basically is just skimming the surface. In fact, actually, I saw your latest film today, which we'll get into a little bit later, Win Win, which is also awesome. But, how's, how, how's your public? Everybody's okay out there? Everyone's good, you know, especially good here in boy. New York with, with the way the Rangers made the, the playoffs last night. So, yeah, everyone's doing good. Anyway, all good for all of you. <laughs> now, you get a late start in acting, and you had been a soldier and a professional boxer. You, you collected <laughs> debts, you know, but somehow you find your way <laughs> to the acclaimed actor's studio in the 60s, stunning under Lee Strasberg. How did that come about, and what made him such a legendary teacher? What made him so 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 well? He was a definitive theater ran through his veins. He could talk about uh, uh, days that he never saw before. Seventeen hundred, sixteen hundred theater in England with complete believability. He was so versed in the work, and. Uh, he had a wonderful, wonderful ability to know who he was talking to and what he was talking about. He could take a lunk kid like me and attack in one way and take some sort of uh, maybe a, a more intellectual type of guy and go about it differently. Everybody had a, a different stomach for him. I still enjoy him, and uh, uh, I don't think I would have continued or even took this. Uh, life seriously if it wasn't for him. Now, your first major film is, is The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight, a film that featured at the time um, probably Hollywood's future in Robert De Niro and it, the past in the great Lionel Standard, who people of my you know generation pretty much only know as Max from Heart to Heart. Yeah. But he was uh, really yeah. a, a very good actor. Uh, and on top of that, Jerry Orbach was in the film as well. What did you take from those three different personalities? What did you learn from being on that film? Well, I learned not to gamble with Jerry Orbach. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a sharpie, a uh, wonderful man. Uh, the old time, I really didn't have that much to do, except uh, I knew he was a strong man. He was up in years, but he had physical strength and uh, a spirit that was uh, was nice to see. He reminded me of someone I'd find on a corner somewhere. And uh, De Niro, De Niro, uh, uh, quite interesting. He was a 
He didn't take himself serious. He, he took his work serious. It's it, it interesting that you brought up that movie because uh, I've forgotten that it was uh, written by uh, that news fellow who, who was a nice guy. Jimmy Breslin. Uh, Breslin. Right? Jimmy Breslin, yeah. Uh, it's some cast. I, if you look back you look in back. retrospect and you look at those names, that, that's an unbelievable cast. The movie, the movie should have done better. Yeah. Uh, whether it was our, our fault or, or who was at the home, I don't know. I I didn't have that much knowledge. Uh, uh, but it, it 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 was written beautifully. The the story was very strong. His 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 novel itself was. It, years later, uh, his kid I I helped audition to get into the actor studio. Jimmy's son. Oh wow. Now, one film that went on to more than just critical acclaim was Chinatown. Uh, and your role wrote, gains you a lot of attention. But I also read somewhere that you actually turned a more significant role down in, oddly enough, we're going to have Ed Louder on right after you, who was in The Longest Yard, but you turned down a bigger, more significant role in The Longest Yard to be in Chinatown. Um, why at the time did you do that early on in your career? And what drew you to Chinatown? That was that that that, that is all accurate. Uh, I, I didn't have any money to speak about. Not with I, I had other businesses that I fed my house with. But uh, in Chinatown, first of all, I liked the way I was hired. Uh, I met a Roman. Uh, I didn't know the background really of the man and. And I read the script. The script was so complicated; it took me two, three times to understand most of it. Uh, and the longest shot was directed by Robert Aldrich, who who happened to be an early friend of mine, an old-time director, another good, fair, honest guy that uh, was going to pay me uh, quite a bit more. And I told him, "I'm going to, I'm going to go with this other movie, Robert." I told him. He, and I said, uh, I don't know, Bert, I'll never thwart anything you do. If you have that, that, that feeling, please, we work, we work next week again. And that's how we took it. Hmm. We, we may remain close friends to his, his, his dying. You know? so, so now when you sit back all these years later and you realize that Chinatown has been called one of the greatest films ever made, it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, winning in the category of Best Original Screenplay, as well in the fact that in 1991, Chinatown was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. How much more do you value that decision today? Uh, I, I valued it even as I, as I was doing the work. It was the first opportunity I saw. I, I met uh, Jack and uh, Nicholson and Faye Dunaway and the old-timer Houston. Uh, and I, to watch these fellows, you know, I was, I was really nowhere. I didn't have a car. I used to try to flag a cab in California to get home after work. Uh, I didn't have it in my contract. So was, and there was no cabs that, not like New York, there, there was no cabs that run up and down the street. And so it was a pain in the ass. Every day after I finished work, I'd have to find a way to get the hell home. It took me a couple <laughs> hours. And, uh, so that was memorable for me. But uh, uh, 
I watched Jack and Faye as uh, they worked, and they, he used to do a lot of takes for me. Did a great deal of takes. And uh, Robert Evans was running the studio then, and he was very, very active in the making of the movie. And uh, he used to do 15, 20 takes for a normal, a normal average scene there. These two, and they took it. And, and to me, in my uh, uh, small eyes, I didn't, I didn't see much of a change between one take or another. <laughs> So I told her, I told Roman, I said, look, I have this, I'm going to be hurting when I come out at the beginning of the movie, so if you could tell your cinematographer to be aware, um, no, 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 you're a fisherman. He said, you're just, you're just coming from work. So uh, I didn't argue, but I, I did what I, I wished to do. I ended up chewing a blinds on it. Yeah, and, <laughs> and we're and actually then, showing that behind us right now on on the screen. Uh, that scene, uh, exactly. Uh, you know, and, you mentioned Polanski says he looks at the. I, mean, I didn't know if this guy was going to be mad or what. <laughs> you know, he had a reputation of being a little high strung, and I, he says to Haxel Wesco, that was our cinematographer, he says, "Do we need more?" And Haxel looks. He goes, "Nope." <laughs> and and and. and uh, Jack walks by, who I didn't really know. He walks by. He says, "Thanks, buddy. You made me another two million. <laughs> that was, that was wow! Oh. Now, some of your other great roles um, were with James Caan. Movies such as Cinderella, Liberty, The Killer Elite. First of all, I think James Caan may be one of the most underrated actors of my time. But the two of you seem to have this on-screen chemistry. Are you guys friends in real life? Very, very close. His uh, his nieces and his sister, they 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 and my daughter, they still call themselves cousins. They're so close. Uh, no, I love Jimmy. He, uh, uh, I love him. He's a pain in the ass, but I love the guy <laughs> a lot. You know? Now, you, you mentioned Roman Polanski, but in The Killer Elite, you get to, to work with another legend as far as director in Sam Peckinpah. What, you know, from a layman's standpoint, I mean, obviously, this is a sports talk show, so, you know, we don't really yeah. know the inner and outer workings of a movie, but what makes certain directors special, like a Peckinpah or a Polanski? Peckinpah, I think, was the closest to a genius that I ever worked with. Uh, he just had a vision. Sometimes he, he wouldn't go to, to dailies. That was the day shoot for a month. He had a clear thing in mind, and uh, uh, I used to be out partying with him. I learned the most with that film because we would hang out together, and and, and everybody was afraid of, afraid of him, the studio, the other actors, and so they all would come to me. What's he doing? What's he thinking? How's he feel? And so I, I really got a fast education hanging out with the fellow. He was a, a, a bold, crazy man, and uh, he he followed his own drummer. You know, he's a. Uh, 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 I think he he went too early and too very unappreciated. Hmm. Let's move on to the Rocky films a little bit. Now, you early on were a boxer. Seeing the Rocky saga play out over all those years, from a boxer's standpoint, what goes through your mind? First, I, was, I always 
was a pretty good, uh, had an ability to compose. I could read what was, was well, what felt right. Even before being in this business, I, I had that way. And uh, when I first read it, I first I, I, I was overjoyed. It was uh, I was the only person that did an audition for the movie. Uh, they auditioned Burgess Meredith. They auditioned Talia. Everybody, but myself. And the the thing was, it was it was it was uh, about. Fifty percent a cartoon, and uh, and uh, in, in fact, it, for me, it took me like half the movie before I I, I really got into it. He he laid the the characters down uh, uh, pragmatically, and then all of a sudden, when we were getting itchy in the seat, that figure for myself, then he took us on the ride, and that ride didn't stop, and. Uh, I knew when I read the thing, I I told friends, I said, this is, I, I, I didn't know what a breakthrough movie was in those days. You know, there really weren't many. But I knew that this was some special, special piece of work. It was written very clean, uh, uh, like street verse. It was just delightful. It's interesting that you mentioned that, that, you know, that it, it slowly built and there were layers and layers. Now, on one level, Paulie is somewhat simplistic, but you create this character that has all these layers, and as good as a writer that Sly is, I have to believe that Paulie is, is almost more of a creation of you, you know, adding to what Sly had envisioned than what Sly had. And maybe that's just me, you know, thinking that. No, 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 give me all the credit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm right with you. I just think his his ability was uh, wanting me for the part. You know, he was he was nowhere. He was shut of uh, the jailhouse. He he was not recognized as any kind of uh, uh, serious actor or writer at that time. They they would have had many others to choose from they, they, to do the script, but he hung in there. But he uh, he was a very dogmatic, strong uh, man that. Uh, believe so much in all of the things he does, it's refreshing. It's like, uh, you know, his biggest pain in the neck is that he, he hates downtime. You, you keep him working, let him climb a ladder here and there, yeah, and he's happy. You know, he, he doesn't understand slow time. Well, getting back to that, what were some of the traits that you added on to Paulie from the original vision that Sly had? What were some of the little tweaks that you did to bring that character to life and to have so many different levels to him? Well, Paulie was a very scared man, I felt. He was gruff, he was boisterous, he was built like a tank. But all he had was a, a sister who was... Uh, pretty slow and she had not much of a life going and he had none and uh, and Rocky was going to take her away uh, so with all his uh, bluster he, he was left with nothing he was naked and uh, and from being the most cantankerous would-be friend uh, that was the only friend that uh, this poor Paulie had was Rocky. Hmm. 
And I sort of played them that way. I played them like a half empty barrel, like uh, there was a there was a, a lot of pain in his stomach, you know. You know, in the yeah, final, in the final. Ro- Rocky movie, Rocky's desire to get back in the ring starts with a, a computer-simulated fight. Now, we mentioned that you were a boxer, and at one point, I, I, I'm pretty sure you were undefeated. So, if there was a computer simulation of all the recent movie boxers, such as Sly, Mark Wahlberg, Will Smith, um, you know, I'm just trying to think of the other ones that are out there, and even De Niro, you know, who would be the eventual, and, and throw you into that, who would be the eventual champ and why? Oh, me, without a doubt. <laughs> I, I had a feeling you'd say that, but how come? I mean, those guys well, because got in. I was, I was a fire. These fellows never got punched in the face. <laughs> I was able to operate under duress. I had two children I was feeding. If I, if I wasn't picking up a couple of dollars with a fight, I, I was stealing. I, it was a pretty rocky road, you know, and, uh, and I was very good. I, I had... Uh, the first, my first trainer was Charlie Goldman. That was Marciano. That's going back a million years. He was Marciano's trainer, and he he turned me from lefty to to, to righty. And then uh, of course I had Gustav Mahler for uh, years, and he he thought I I was a failure that I I became an actor and stopped fighting. He he actually thought I was a failure. It was become a joke between Tyson and myself and uh, uh, Ali. They would all get together. He could have been somebody. He could have been somebody. They always made a joke, and they still do of me, you know. <laughs> In the last Rocky movie, which I found absolutely brilliant, there's a lot of talk about junk in the basement. And all the while, some of the bittersweet moments about the junk in the, the basement revolve around you painting. Uh, now, I know painting is a passion of yours, but on some level... I kind of get there's got to be a connection between the two. That particular scene and the fact that, you know, at your job, you're sitting there painting. You know, is there a connection in the two and was it intentional? Yeah, I, I invented that. Uh, uh, I, I was painting, so I made the worst paintings. I made Paulie's paintings. <laughs> I made, uh, uh, and Paulie thought he was becoming sophisticated. He thought he had everything going. His brother-in-law wasn't doing much, he wasn't happy, he was, he was uh, uh, sorrow-ridden with the passing of his wife. And I was, I, I thought I had a stable background and I was going, I was getting sophisticated. And uh, and the, the junk in the basement was um, what I felt, that he didn't he get rid of all that pain and frustration, the, the need to want to do, want to achieve. Why? Why does he want to torture himself? He did this all these years. Why? 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 You haven't uh, get punched in the, uh, in the face enough. That was what I think I told him. You know. Mm. And, and then it turns out my my career <laughs> was stagnant, and uh, it ended up uh, back with him again. Uh, what inspires you as a painter, and what are the mediums that you use? I I I, I like acrylic. I've, I've done acrylic and oil uh, together. I, I'm very color oriented. Uh, color gets me sometimes. I color injustice gets me. Of a, a face, a woman, a nice body. 
uh, it could be many things. It could be a photograph from the paper uh, that um, I still remember the photograph when we were all young. I was anyway. And uh, it was a Vietnam and there was a kid running down the street. She was on fire. She was naked. A little, a little sweetheart. And it was in the front page of the paper. And that went more to closing the door on that war than anything I saw. Well, uh, for me, for sure. And uh, things do inspire me in different ways, different a tree. Uh, it could be just about anything. And sometimes I start to work not really knowing where I'm going, which I think other people wouldn't do, other accredited artists. But, uh, yeah, I'll... I, I make and I and I, I work with a, a pretty uh, passionate plate. And which do you find a greater escape in, acting or painting? Well, the acting, the acting. When I work, most of the time, uh, I'm cooking. I'm using almost every bit of myself, and uh, uh, perhaps just uh, you know, I was in the Marines when I was fifteen and. The fighting and all that, you know. I, uh, and that's what I think I uh, I took to uh, somewhat to the acting, the the reading or the writing or the painting. Uh, I feel bright when I finish, but the acting I I I usually when I finish the the day, I say ooh. I feel completely satisfied. I feel okay. Now, the role we mentioned in the open in The Sopranos is Bobby Bacala's father is unbelievable. Um, you know, working on that show, when it was at its height of popularity, where it was the talk of, you know, every Monday morning at everyone's office water cooler, what was it like being in that show? What did you think of the series overall? And, you know, the biggest question is everyone still has so many different theories as to when that faded to black, what actually happened. I, I know there's a lot of questions in there, but if you can touch on a couple of them. I kind of thought uh, that it was like a, a America's Shakespeare. I kind of thought in a crazy way it was a, a pioneer country's uh, 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 Shakespeare, like, uh, like I said, I feel that it was wit written and, and and performed that way. I when when I did that part, um, first they treated me swell. They before anything, they all the crew, the teachers, they they applauded. I had to leave the, the set because I was um, I was really embarrassed and uh, and. Uh, the fellow, the the boss of the show, he said uh, uh, to have you on the show, and he bowed. And the old timer, uh, the wonderful man, he said to work with a master. And uh, I couldn't take it; I had to leave. I, yeah. wow. But they were that way the whole bit. And the the producer, uh, completely a fanatic, a workaholic. Everything had to be perfect from the extras to everything. He went, I had to dye my hair whiter. He went to the beauty parlor overlooking, <laughs> you know, and I, I've been around a hundred years and he's, and he's watching and he, he's David Chase. 
that's what made the show his his meticulousness. He was really he was really uh, he was a writer. I worked with him without knowing it on Rock, uh, Rockford Files. He was a writer for them. Wow. And I didn't I didn't know him then, uh, but. Uh, Yes, that was a, a, a great. That was, in fact, that show won them that I did won them their face right. first Emmy. Yep, one of the, yeah. the greatest. That was one of the greatest episodes. Now we could literally spend two hours with you and all the projects you did. So I figured the best way to close our segment would be just like a, a pretty quick game of word association with some of the, the projects and films you've been involved with and some of the people. So I'm just going to throw out a project or, or a name and, and just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when I say it, all right? I hope, I hope you don't stump me. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll start with, oh, with yeah. the oh, first yeah. one. Uncle Joe Shannon. Oh, uh, I loved it. I had the ability to see uh, my own words transferred by serious people into a, a working set. And uh, uh, I loved the trumpet, and I had the great pleasure of being taught and watched by Maynard Ferguson. It was uh, also done by Chardoff and Winkler, uh, produced by them. Uh, it was uh, very exciting for me. Roomies. Roomies. <laughs> I wanted to see what a TV show was. I really wanted to see... I had turned down a few things, and uh, and I like to work. And I want situation, uh, uh, what what was necessary? How, am I able to do roomies? Am I able to uh, keep up? Am I able to do honest work uh, throughout it? And so it was really a, an attack for me. It changing the clothes, getting pointed to another scene. And I also put my mama in there when she was our 80th birthday. I put her in there, and uh, she was lovely. And uh, I had good feelings about it. Yeah, a couple of names here. Robert Blake. Yeah, he had that poor sucker. I enjoyed him because oh, I did three shows, and that also won them the first Emmy, the show I did. And... Uh, and he was tough on the crew and cast, except when I came on to work. He just he just chilled out. Everybody loved it when I came. <laughs> they, uh, uh, I would ask him. I say, "This, you know, Robert, this this sucks." I say, right? He says, "Well, why do you think you're here? <laughs> Fix it." <laughs> yeah, and that was the thing. I I feel sad. He ended up like that. I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did enjoy working with him. Yeah, it's amazing if you take a look at his career back, you know, the little rascals to, you know, uh, some of the great movies he's did. And Beretta was was a great show at the time as well. Um, he, was a, he was an unhappy guy. That was yeah. what he always was uh, feuding, you know, unhappy, but very able. Uh, Mickey Rourke. <laughs> uh, Mickey Rourke. I think he invented himself uh, in the character that he is right now. He had things going his way. He was a handsome guy. He, to me, he couldn't act very well. Uh, and he made himself go through every 
every dilemma from uh, going in the ring and fighting with a bunch of duds to uh, doing bad habits and uh, facial. So he, so he became almost grotesque, and he succeeded at it. Right, well, uh, well, he, so yeah, he, he almost like made himself. Uh, he sculpted his his, his afterlife uh, recently. Right, we'll close with two more. Uh, Steve McQueen. <laughs> I I only met him a couple of times. He was a, a, a beautiful. I was working with Ali McGraw. He that was his then wife, and they were breaking up. And he was a jealous guy, you know. And we were doing convoy back and forth out in I think New Mexico somewhere. And me and Ali and Matt Sinclair and uh, and uh, Kathy Hamer, we after work we'd go in, in a, a steam room with bathing suits on, you know. And we just would uh, chill out in baloney after work. And uh, we hear, we hear, I get a call from Army Archer that he's around, he's lurking around. So I put on a suit, a tie, a, a pants, my shoes, a newspaper, my hat, and I go into the, the steam room with the girls, and they're, they can't believe what I'm doing. He peeks into the window to check. He opens the door, he takes one look at me, and I'm reading the paper proper, you know, like a, he started laughing. He fell down and closed the door. That was the last I saw him. <laughs> uh, all right, and the final name uh, to close out. First thing that comes to your mind when I say Burt Young. A lucky man. Big, full life. Uh, a rich, rich road I, I have and still have. Excellent, Bert. It's been it's been a pleasure. Actually, it was a, a double pleasure because I got to see you in a wonderful film. People out there have to go see Win Win, and, and it, it's strange because um, afterwards, you know, speaking with my wife, and she said it's funny that your screen time was not a tremendous amount of time in the movie, but you are really the entire driving force for everyone in that movie, and it's it, it's played with with such perfection it really it's tremendous so i you know a double thank, thrill thank, for me double thank thrill. you thank you thank your wife she has she has good senses <laughs> well she married me i wouldn't yeah. say that <laughs> oh, okay perhaps there too. <laughs> all right bert thank you so much thank you and again my best to all your your fans out there you got it bert the great bert young thank you all right thanks so much